first Bible reading is taken from the Old Testament book of Daniel, beginning at chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order... And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, 
the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Our second reading is from the New Testament letter to the Ephesians, beginning at chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us through your word in the Bible, that you make yourself known to us. Please fill us with your spirit. Give us ears and hearts to hear what you are saying this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought of yourself as a powerful person, someone who's in control of things, Here in Australia, in Sydney, in the inner west, we, for the most part, are. We're in control. Whether individually or even collectively, we're powerful and in control, and we love it. We love it. It's the reason why politicians have been standing up with their chests puffed out about what a good job that we've done in controlling COVID-19, So when those Victorians had their outbreak, we were quite quick as a group to look down our noses at them because we were in control. I suspect, too, that on the flip side, it's why as a society we've been so anxious about losing control of COVID-19 or why there are so many headlines about the decline of the West and the fear of an ascendant China. It's why I suspect that we all fear that moment when we will be disempowered through deteriorating physical or mental health. Or even that moment when we might not be able to practice our faith freely. Paul E. Miller, 
author of A Praying Life, the book uh, that we use in our recent sermon series on prayer. He argues that one of the reasons Christians find it so difficult to ask God in prayer is because it involves admitting even to ourselves that we are helpless. It involves humbling ourselves and recognising the limits of our power. There are many reasons why we hate being out of power. In many cases, there's the very real threat of subjugation, servitude and abuse at the hands of one who has power over us. Moreover, our society is one that prizes individual empowerment. If the news is anything to go by, we greatly value people being able to share their truth and take back control of their story and their lives. Even the Whitlams know that nobody wants to be the weak one. We all want to move from strength to strength. We fear others having power over us. We fear the shame of others having to take charge over us because we can't do it ourselves. I think also, though, when we delve into the depths of our hearts, it's because we don't like being reminded that we aren't the masters of our own destiny, that we're not in control, that we aren't God. It's how easily forget that we forget that we aren't God that makes power so easily or easy to abuse, whether it's in the awful, hard coercion, control and physical abuse that has received so much publicity recently or more in the softer, quieter ways of manipulating a situation to our advantage, of using some personal knowledge about someone else to boost ourselves up or to put them down. Daniel 6, like much of the rest of the book, has quite a bit to say about being in or out of power. Turns out it's not all it's cracked up to be. It provided great hope, Daniel 6, and comfort for the Jews in exile and for us here in the 21st century. Are we like Darius, anxious to preserve our power and full of hubris? How do we respond when we're out of power? How can we, when faced with our own powerlessness to cure a disease, to find employment, to get the kids out of the door with their shoes on and not all screaming, (sighs) be more like Daniel, who despite his tremendous worldly power, knew that it was the power of the living God through which he was secure. We're going to look at this very well-known passage in the standard three stages. The first, and here they are. The first one is being in power, two, being out of power, and then three, the power of the living God. Being in power. Darius the Mede must have been feeling pretty good. Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, had just been slain, and at age 62, Darius takes the keys to the kingdom, out with the Babylonians, in with the Medo-Persians. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps stationed throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, including Daniel, To these, the satraps gave account so that the king might suffer no loss. must be pretty nice to have that level of power. It pleases you. It pleases you. And it happens. Wouldn't that be nice? Darius ruled absolutely. Absolutely. And he was keen to use that power so that he might suffer no loss. 
He ruled so absolutely that his decrees cannot be changed. So confident was he in his authority, Darius is even happy to delegate power to the satraps and the presidents stationed throughout the whole kingdom. So far, so good. Enter Daniel, so far, even better. Daniel distinguished himself, just like he had done for Darius' predecessors, above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. He was faithful and no negligence or corruption could be found in him. There's a few important observations to make here. Firstly, power in and of itself, not a bad thing. It's used by both Darius and Daniel for good. It distributes and manages resources efficiently and effectively. It curbs corruption and waste. For the Jews in exile, they might not have been surprised to see a fellow Jew working hard, but for the enemy? Would they not expect similar abuses of power from Darius as from his predecessors who were so capricious and conceited? God's people are not the only ones who can do good things in the world. I wonder if we use our power in this way. Do we use our money, our influence, our time, our votes to curb corruption and waste? Or are we more self-serving? When Australia has so few COVID-19 cases, should we be really pushing for vaccines when they could easily go to much poorer places where the virus is causing such catastrophically more damage? Now, Daniel and Darius, of course, are not the only ones who have power. There are the presidents and satraps who use an altogether different type of power, the soft power of manipulation and scheming. They came to the king and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict, that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the interdict and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. We can picture Darius pretty clearly here, can't we? He's sitting on his throne, he's rich, powerful, and now he has his flatterers and sycophants to puff him up. They want him to live forever. In fact, they're putting him on par with the gods. People should pray to him, to Darius, and not other gods. So full of his own glory, Darius doesn't even see the trap that he's walked straight into. He doesn't realise that he's actually giving up the initiative and in so doing actually loses his power. Just like Darius, we can visualise the prefects and satraps so clearly, can't we? They're almost a cliché. The chorus coming in with their smooth talk but vicious eyes. If it was a movie, we might almost be shouting at the screen, no, Darius, don't, don't listen to them. But he does. This happens all too often. We see this sort of power exercised all the time, don't we? The scheme in the workplace, 
the developers and the politicians, the frenemy groups, and rightly, we despise it. When the news reports on the backdoor dealings for the casino license and development approval or the Badgeries Creek secret land deal, we are rightly outraged by this abuse of power. I wonder though at this point who we are more like. Daniel, the ever faithful administrator, the person who just humbly turns up to work each day and just does her best, who doesn't seek to grandstand or get involved in office politics, And we see the fruits of that sort of work, don't we, all around us? A beautiful garden, a just deal, a warm home. Are we more like Darius, the stooge, the CEO who's blissfully unaware of the impact that a key recommendation will have on the ground floor? Or are we more like the satraps and governors, self-promoters and schemers, the colleague happily taking credit for someone else's work? Or at the playground, which is me a bit more recently, uh, gathering every morsel of information about the other parents just to be supportive. It's interesting to observe here the limits of power. Daniel, of course, would have been distinctly aware of the limits of his situation. A Jew in exile, subject to the whim of whoever is the current king. For each new king in Daniel's long career, always a chance that they wouldn't like what he was doing and it would be all over. But Darius, the conquering king whose very word is law that cannot be changed or revoked, realises his limitations. Whether it was his ego or lack of foresight that got in the way, Darius too is limited. Don't we see this all the time too, these limits? We put so much faith in our earthly leaders. We look for just the right person, whether it was Kevin 07, Barack Obama's change we can believe in, Donald Trump's promise to make America great again, or even just Scotty from marketing. How often do we put our hope in our leaders to fix the climate, or schools, or economic injustice, or even just to make petrol cheaper, and yet they fail time and again? They fail. We've all seen when power is used well, even in our own use of it. Likewise, I'm sure we've all seen when power is used for ill. We recognise, though, that people power has its limits and we can find ourselves out of power. And this is precisely what happens to Darius and to Daniel, which leads, segueing into point two, being out of power. So, the trap is sprung, and we get to see the distinct difference between Darius and Daniel as they respond to the reality that they are out of power, that things are out of their hands. I think Darius' first response is like so many of us, distress. As the penny drops for Darius, and he sees how easily he has been trapped, he becomes distressed as things are out of control. So much like many of us, he is determined to use his own resources to save Daniel. Until sunset, Darius makes every effort to save him. 
Even though the passage is quite brief here, you can imagine him, age 62, no thought to his dignity, the most powerful person around. He's running around, consulting with lawyers, other officials, trying to plead, to bargain, to do anything he could to prevent the grisly execution of his trusted would-be number two. Can you imagine Queen Elizabeth running around like that? I can't. He has been brought low. He is a captive to either the power of his ego, his need to preserve his royal authority in front of the other prefects and satraps, or he is subject to the law and he is distressed. It's not a nice feeling, is it? When you're subjugated by someone or something else's power, and you realise that you are powerless in the face of it. Whether it's disease, an intractable boss, or just a small child who will not get their shoes and socks on. In his distress, Darius almost prays, may your God whom you faithfully serve deliver you. The ultimate act of desperation, a prayer not just to his gods, but to someone else's. So distressed is the king that after sealing Daniel's fate, he can't sleep. Daniel's response could not have been more different from Darius. Despite being fully aware of the king's new edict, he continued to do exactly what he'd always, been, what he'd always done through his long career, praying three times a day facing towards Jerusalem. He knew full well what fate awaited him. He didn't hide, he didn't protest, he didn't exert his humongous influence to try and circumvent the consequences. He walked into the den of hungry lions. How is it that Danielson can so calmly do this? How is it that he didn't just be discreet in his prayers for a few weeks until the heat had died down? It's because Daniel knew that despite his immense earthly power, the esteemed governor whom the king had planned to set over the whole kingdom, that his power was limited. He was living in exile. At any time, the whim of the king could see him executed. But more than this, he knew that it was the God of Israel who was really in control. It was Yahweh the God of Abraham and Isaac, and his laws that held real power, not some edicts of a Persian king. For the Jews living in exile, this must have been an extremely hard truth to hold on to. They were cut off from the temple and forced to live in a culture not their own. It was no accident that Daniel faced Jerusalem for his prayers, every day reminding himself where he belonged. Daniel was a faithful servant in the Babylonian and then Persian empires because he was a faithful servant of God. Oddly, though, in the story, Daniel was not the hero. We're moving on to point three now, the power of the living God. You see, it's the living God who's the hero in this story. His power is clearly on display for all to see. O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Called Darius in an anguished voice at dawn. 
Again, we see Darius, age 62, and king of a mighty empire, humbled, without ceremony, desperately hoping for rescue. And of course, we know the outcome. God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt Daniel because he was found blameless before him and also before the king he had done no wrong. You see, it's God's power to judge, not man's. Throughout the whole book of Daniel, we've seen this contrast between the power of the world and God's power. When King Nebuchadnezzar asserted his power as a God on earth, it was the God of Israel who showed himself to be the Most High, rescuing Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. It was the God of Israel who brought King Nebuchadnezzar low, like an animal in the field. And it was the God of Israel who put the writing on the wall for Belshazzar. It's important to note here that just because God saved his faithful servant Daniel from the lions, it doesn't mean that he will do so again. Many Christians in the early church were in fact killed by lions in the arena. And since that time when holding fast to their beliefs, many Christians have been martyred. Even in 2021, we know of Christians around the world killed for their faith. But that's not really our context here in Sydney, is it? It's not necessarily the hard power of impending execution, but the soft power that so easily we bow to. How is it that when we are in power or when we are out of power, we can be more like Daniel and less like Darius or the other satraps and prefects? How is it that we can shake the fear of being subjugated by others or the fear of the shame of others having to take charge over our lives because we can't? How we can, how we can shut out power's siren song that would convince us that we are God? How can we keep our eyes and hearts fixed on Jerusalem the way that Daniel did? It's a crippling thought, isn't it? That somehow or some way we can use our own power to be more like Daniel, when in our experience we so frequently fall so far short of this. It's only through the power of the living God. It's by knowing that we have been made alive in Christ, despite reveling in our own power and using it to put ourselves in God's place as masters of our destiny, despite, like Darius, desperately using our earthly resources before we put our trust in God, Jesus came for us. When the plotters manipulated Pilate with a legal loophole, Jesus did not hide. He didn't protest. He didn't exert his influence to try and circumvent the consequences. He was subjugated and shamed. He walked into the punishment that we deserved. Not lions, but the cross. But his father did not find him blameless like Daniel and shut the mouths of the lions. Rather, God forsook his own son and gave him our punishment. He went down to the pit and was sealed with a stone. God doesn't promise that he will save us from the lions here on earth. 
but we know that there is one who has gone before us and defeated every single one. Because the story doesn't end in the pit. For Christ was raised from the dead. He is the living God. And we are raised up with him. And God has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And like with Daniel, this isn't for our glory because it's by grace that we've been saved. Not our own doing, it's God's glory. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He delivers and rescues He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, for he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions, and he has saved us from the power of sin and death, for good works which he prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Jesus has saved us from the hardest power, sin and death, and so we are free to not let soft power hold sway over our hearts or to use it against others. We are free to faithfully serve, like Daniel, knowing that it is the living God who has real power. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the living God who reigns over all with mighty power. Please send your spirit into our hearts so that you may rule there. Help us to faithfully serve you when we are both in and out of power. Amen.